Ahoy! And welcome to the Sea Captain Way podcast with Phil Bender and Greg Patton, where we help listeners navigate the uncharted waters, personal and professional growth. The Sea Captain Way is about energizing top performers to take on risks and push beyond their comfort zone to pursue life-changing goals and achieve peak performance. We're going to help you build your vision by showing you how to break free of boundaries that are holding you back. So, Phil, we're excited to announce the release of our new book, The Sea Captain Way for Financial Advisors, that's now available on Amazon. It was a labor of love that took two years to write and about 30 years of experience from each of us to come up with the source <laughs> material. So it's your baby. Right. I just helped give birth to it. We did it. <laughs> yes, you were uh, the, the, I guess they call it the doctor of uh, or a midwife, getting this book. Or a doula, uh, uh, something. Yeah, midwife. There, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's kind of a weird podcast today because, you know, normally we have guests and, you know, it's rare that you and I just talk these days. But in this case, yeah, we have a book to talk about. Yeah, we did. And and it is a lot of work. It's less time to write it, but the editing is so rough. And for those of you who have books in your future, uh, you know, you got to account for that. But it is very fulfilling and exciting. And I could not have done it without you, my friend. I just couldn't put this thing together without you. Oh, no, absolutely. Well, you stayed on the whip. I don't know that I would have, uh, I probably could have spent another 12 months at it, but you helped get us to finish, which is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. And let's dive in a little bit for the listener, the viewer today and talk about what we did. Yeah. So it was an interesting process because we've been friends since we were 19 years old and I thought I knew a lot about you, obviously, but there were so many things I found out about for the first time during the process of writing the book, mostly because we never worked together professionally before 2020. But you also shared a lot of interesting background information about the impact the way you were raised had on your future success. So let's just start with the obvious one that we would ask anyone else that we had on the podcast. What was your motivation for wanting to write the book? Well, first of all, when you do anything for 30 years, and I said this in the book, you got to be kind of good at it. So at that point, I said, you know, I really have all this stuff to share. I've had some experiences, some of them dramatic and disappointing. Some of them have been uh, exhilarating. But it all started in 1990 when my uh, when my wife's uncle introduced me to an insurance-based financial career and said to me magic words, which is, uh, Phil, you know, if you ever think about doing something else, I was working in another job. He said, uh, you ought to do this. I think you'd be good at it. And little did he know that I just wanted to be him. So I have I have to give a shout out to Lisa's uncle who saw that vision pretty early on for career. And then I did the advisor piece for really 10 years. But even in the second year, this is a shout out to my dad, who is in the St. Louis Amateur Baseball Hall of Fame for 40 years of youth work. And that was that I always enjoyed coaching and teaching what was done. It wasn't just enough to do it for me. So I was an advisor for 10 years and I was a player coach, started my own office and and those types of things. And so I just get an enormous thrill. You've mentioned it on podcasts before that out of seeing people do well, and it's seeing a breakthrough barrier, seeing them take a little idea and make it a big one. And so I'm always in their corner. I'm always cheering them on. I'm always telling them the truth about what I see. And I just can't get enough of it. So this is an opportunity in this book to pay it forward. Yeah, you did. I mean, you've got every arrow in your quiver, every trick in your book. I think you got in there somewhere. So I'm I'm sure uh, advisors are, are going to find it super helpful at any stage of their career 
career. So in the beginning of the book, you talked about your close relationship with your grandfather and how he always worked in blue collar professions. You said he had a lot of money because he was very good at managing his finances. And you also say he was your first financial advisor. There's a great picture of you. Uh, I think you're sitting in front of your piggy bank and your grandfather is giving you some, some pointers. So can you talk about some of the ways in which your grandfather had such a significant impact on your life, especially related to your outlook on and relationship with money? Well, in particular, I use that phrase, my grandfather never made a lot of money, but he always had a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I noticed in so many instances that everything from when I used to get hits in baseball as a kid, Mm -hmm. I'd get a dollar from him for every hit. And, (laughs) and, and I, I know, and I, and you wonder why I'm paid for performance all the time, right? right? It was $5 for a home run. And what he would do is basically after the game, just pull me aside and say, nice job. Right. And or not nice job. So he was real about that, too. And so it was always performance based. That's why I chose, I think, the career I chose. And but he always had money. He was always talking about saving money. I did have a big pink piggy bank, big one, like God, it had to be foot tall, maybe two feet. And he would sit at the table and open it up in the bottom and money would fall out and we'd count it. And there's a great picture in the book of me with him at his kitchen table in South St. Louis, uh, two-bedroom house. And so there was always that conversation about being fiscally responsible. That's awesome. So it's interesting to me how that experience had such a major influence on who you are today. And it, you know, it comes up in different ways in the book. So you mentioned in the introduction to the book that you were always at your best during your career when you had a personal or group coach. Can you explain why? Yeah. Well, this is a tricky answer because I had a tremendous sales manager at the beginning of my career, but I can go even back further where I had tremendous mentors. I always gravitated to mentors. And, you know, my first boss was a guy by the name of Mark Mullinex who worked with me and he was just beyond, larger than life to me. And he taught me so many things like how to write a letter and how to deal with conflict and how to stay. Uh, uh, he was very charismatic. And then Lisa's uncle was always somebody I admired. I mentioned him earlier. And then I went into my first career, a real career in the insurance field. And I met John Qualley and he was just had, had a tremendous impact on me. And so there were always these mentors, and then I would always find myself wanting to grow out of it, grow out of it. Sometimes I would fight the mentor because I'd say, oh, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. So I started my own office, and then I went a period of time without mentors. And then eventually I started to come to a realization at about 35 that I was on a runaway train for success, and it started to freak me out a little bit. It was way beyond my control. And so what I did for the first time on the suggestion of my managing partner was I hired an executive coach and learned from that experience at such a level that it really changed my trajectory. And I honor him all the time because there's so many things that I find myself quoting or referencing that he shared with me. His name was Maury Sheckman. And I just got tremendous amount of that. So all throughout my career, I've had these mentors, these people that I would focus in the coaching space and they they made me better. They told me the truth. I trusted them. And then only three years in my career past 35 did I not have a coach. And they were the worst. They were absolutely the worst three, Greg, by far. <laughs> oh, 
that just because you were adrift? Yeah, I just was adrift. I partially just because one relationship ended, I didn't renew it. But I just got I got a little lost. And to use a sea captain term, yeah, I was adrift. Well, that's you were ahead of your time embracing professional, you know, ongoing professional development, you know, back then. I mean, every it's a lot more prevalent now. I always remember reading that Jack Nicholas took golf lessons his whole career. I was like, oh, okay. You never have it totally knocked. So one of the key themes in the book and your coaching is that one of the greatest shifts financial advisors make in their practice is the point at which they move to running their firm. This involves learning how to shift from a monthly sales mindset to a quarterly CEO sales mindset. How did you arrive at this conclusion and why is it a core tenet of both the book and your coaching practice? Well, I I need to go back and again, thank Maury Sheckman for introducing me to the concept of a familiar which is a familiar being just the pattern that you're used to. It has to do with your upbringing. It has to do with the things that you've learned, your fear. And it, it basically keeps you in the warm bed. It, it keeps you from moving forward. And sometimes you don't, you're not even aware of it being in the way. It's like gravitational pull. And so what I did was just take that concept and I started to apply it to financial advising and started to look at how advisors who are great salespeople are very high-end performers, but very reactive in their world. They are just constantly, their business is running them. They get they get bunched up about things that they shouldn't even be involved in anymore. They, they're slow to trust. And so what the coaching piece that we do is, and I developed a graph, it's in the book. It's actually a good part of, I think it's chapter eight, where we talk about the actual growth from one quadrant, which is the reactive high performer to the proactive high performer, which now shifts toward being a CEO, be running your firm, not having it run you thinking ahead, quarterly mindset. You know, CEOs have to report quarterly on results. It's not getting caught up in the day-to-day, but to think out into the future and then make those adjustments, which makes you a better business owner. It, it makes you a better manager. It makes you a better leader. And so we just go through that exercise with all of our all of our clients and they can't get enough of that because it's scary. It's like going into a dark room. Okay, got to turn the key, got to go in. But then it's also very fulfilling. And you can just see the transformation over a period of time when we work with clients in this space. Yeah. And I know it also relates to you had recommended a book to me and probably you do to your clients the 12 week year about that that quarterly mindset. And that was uh, just kind of a whole new way of looking at the day for me. Good stuff. So another major theme in the book is about shifting behavior patterns and what you call the one degree shift. You've done entire presentations to various organizations focused almost entirely on this topic. When did you first in- encounter this concept and why do you think it's so important for your clients to understand it? Well, I use the example of a sea captain doing a one degree shift over a vast ocean. In other words, growth is a period of time. It's not something that happens immediately. It's not like the movie Goodwill Hunting, if you remember, when when all of a sudden he's fixed. Okay, this is a process. And a lot of people go back, they they go up for a while and then they come back down. And then many times they just say, oh, this isn't going to work. When in reality, that one degree shift is like a boat over a vast ocean. You're going to end up in a different place. Okay, just ask Columbus. 
All right. So that one degree, that one degree shift is just so important that you stay with it, that you have somebody walking with you. And then there are three layers to this or three steps. The first one is trust. And that means you got to trust yourself. You got to trust the team around you. You got to trust the coach that you're working with. You got to trust and trust self is probably one of the more important pieces. So second piece then is then testing things. Okay. And that means, you know, what are we going to as a team, as a unit, what am I going to test and grow and then measure that? And then lastly is execute on what you decided to test. So in other words, now we've tested this enough where this is a strategy viable for us. Now it's time to execute. So when we talk about peak performance, when I do a lot of speaking in this space, we talk about peak performance. Th- those are those are some of the steps. Test it, or excuse me, trust it, test it, and execute on it. And that could take two years. Okay. Transformational change is not something that happens immediately. It happens over time. It happens from sticking with it. You get knocked down a few times, but you just know in your gut, you just know that this is the right answer. It's just testing to see what is the strategy that you want to pursue. Yeah. And I've seen you, you know, present and talk about this topic before. And I know one of the things you're mindful of and why people, you know, like working with you as a coach is people tend to, you know, maybe regress back to their old habits and, you know, fall back into lose their momentum and 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 not stay on target. So I know that's something that you are able to help, you know, a lot of your clients appreciate that you're able to keep them on track and committed to these new goals. Well, Greg, that's that fam- that's that familiar concept we talked about. If I can throw a little bit more in here. That familiar concept is that pattern of going back into what is comfortable. And so when I'm working with a client, they'll go to a meeting, they'll come back from the meeting. They'll be like, oh my God, I need to adopt this thing that I learned. Somebody said this and I'm going to change my whole edit, my whole perspective. And I'm like, please don't do this. Okay. Take that idea, tuck it away and see where it fits in your chassis. So the example I always use is that what we do at Sea Captain is we help people build a new chassis for a car. They get to pick what that car is going to look like. They get to pick the color. They get to pick the, is it a convertible? They get to pick all the things. And those are the things you learn at meetings, those little pieces. But then ultimately, Greg, they have to drive the car and continue to drive it and not worry so much about what's on, how it looks on the outside. Yeah, that's what I, I say when I help. Uh, I work with a lot of advisors, a lot of my clients to help them create a websites. And I would say when we're done, I you know explain the process. And I say, and then when you're done, I give you the keys. You can drive it off the lot and you can <laughs> use it as, you know, as you see fit. So one of your coaches and mentors during a key stage of your career was Dr. Paul Donahue, who wrote a book with Dr. Mary Siegel, called Are You Really Listening? By the way, Dr. Donahue gave us a great review for the book, the new book, and I know we're planning on having him on an upcoming podcast. So you're the only person I've ever met who has had a listening coach. Um, can you share a little bit about how you met Dr. Donahue and realized that incorporating listening strategies into your coaching training curriculum would better position your clients for success? This is a scary one and a fun one. I had, when I first became a managing partner, I had three of my top advisors pull me aside for lunch one day. And this was probably after about a year of being in the new chair. And they said, Phil, they go, you know, you're great at connecting with people, but man, are you a bad listener? And I just sat there and looked at them. It felt like they were breaking up with me. Okay. And 
I was just beside myself. I said, what are you talking about? I am always connecting with people on what they're doing. And I did. You can't be a good salesperson without it. But there was technique missing. I had a tendency to unknowingly dismiss people or do this classic thing, which is is uh, one-up people. When they would tell a story, instead of listening to the story, I would just tell a better story. Okay, And which now that I know from my listening experience, that that's that is just taking the spotlight right off of them. And so as a as a leader, as a manager, I learned right out of the gate, you know, that connecting is not listening. Then I, of course, they gave me the book, which is hard, especially because it says, are you really listening? That's a really hard thing for somebody to give you. But then I started to work with uh, Dr. Donahue and I did for, gosh, 15 years. Now he was part therapist too. He's, he's a gifted person. I can't wait to get him on the podcast. But it was those steps that focused, and now I'm at a point where, yeah, I still have I still have moments where I move away from the listening posture. But you know, I think most people would tell you that they know that I walk with them in their destination. That it's not about me instructing them where to go, but actually really walk with them. Yeah, I've heard your clients take note. I've heard people say that you're a good listener and that you you give good answers. You even helped me with that when we. I don't know if you remember when we first started working together, you would record meetings all the time. And I had never really seen myself on video in a meeting. And I watched a few of them. And the next time we talked, I'm from a family of 10 kids. I said, man, I interrupt people a lot. And you said, yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) And then you you helped me out a little bit with the story one-upping and all of that. I'm like, well, man, I'm I'm, I'm hardwired. But it was great. It really, I benefited from you applying your brain to that and sharing it with uh, everybody. It's cool. I don't know anybody else that folk puts that emphasis on it, but appreciate that. Well, you're welcome. And and I know it's been a rewarding process for you to, to work on that and learn from that. And again, still have your moments, right? I mean, you're a very charismatic person. So, you know, all the way back to 19, you were the cool guy, right? Uh, on Friday afternoon, you just wanted to, you wanted to be Greg Patton. And so those are things that, you know, keep in mind. Yeah, well, there's a comedian that I love named Nate Bergazzi, and he said, uh, my wife always says I'm not listening. And I'm like, that's a weird way to start a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Exactly. So I think we got time for one more in this segment. I hope we can do another podcast about the book because I think we're really kind of just scratching the surface of it. So the topic in the book that I wanted to talk about was the last topic I want to talk about in the book today was the one that's most near and dear to my heart, and that's elevating brand standards and delivering a great client experience. So you and your colleague, Scott Underwood, are both conducting a new series of ongoing seminars about how advisors can accelerate the growth of their practices, and this is a key component. And in the work I do with my clients at Tradewind Marketing, it this is crucial distinguishing attribute for successful advisory practices, the people that get the branding part of it. So you and Scott have both built very successful brands with Seat Captain Coaching and Scott with Socium Advisors. What are the insights and key points about branding and delivering a great client experience you're covering in your seminars that relate back to what's in the book? Well, it's a it's a laundry list, and I've really relied on you heavily for this part of the book. So I I really appreciate you giving me some license in this because conceptually you you do this all the time and please feel free to add some stuff in Greg on this but but really what it bo- what it boils down to is it, it all starts with what would you want as a client if you're a client of this firm what would you want to see what kind of attention would you want 
to get. What type of events would you or learning would you like to receive? How frequently would you like to be contacted? What would you like to see on social media? What would you like to see on a website? How interactive do you want it to be? Okay. If you think nowadays that people don't Google you before they meet you as an advisor or as a salesperson, okay, or as a recruiter, I think you're you're missing something. And so it's it now it's what depth do you want? Because there's so many things that we're learning just with technology where how you can automate things and really make them shine, really make your brand pop. And so those are some of the fundamentals. And Scott, you know, who we had on a recent podcast is probably one of the better people to talk about this because he and his team, they focus on this. They agonize over client experience. They agonize over team building. That's another piece. Client experience is not just your not just your client, it's the actual team that you have assembled. Mm-hmm. Is, and so there's a whole nother layer. Yeah. You said that Scott that they manages his brand all the way down to how, how people answer the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I worked with Quebec in the Northwest Pacific Northwest, and they part of their branding was the people that answered the phones answered it by saying "world's greatest bank." So that sets the bar <laughs> up here on how you need to, you know, how that interaction is going to go. And then another one of the great branding insight that I always loved is there's a guy named Scott Bedbury who built the Nike and Starbucks mm-hmm. brands. He did Nike in the '80s, and then he went and did it at Starbucks in the '90s. And he'd said, a brand is a promise a business makes to its customers. And, you know, living up to your brand standard is keeping the promise. So good stuff. Well, Phil, thanks. So it was fun to, we got to do a, I did a victory lap around my house here in St. Louis. I'm sure you did. (laughs) They said, well, we got to hoist one. (laughs) We got to hoist one a couple of weeks ago, but this is fun. One of us, I hope, remember to bring a copy of the book. Is this where we hold that up? Isn't that what you should do? There it is. is. There it is. Yes. Look at that. And inside the back cover, the legends right right, there. Right. Right there. There he is. GP. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, yeah, people, the book is available now on Amazon. Um, You can order it. And you can also go to the Sea Captain Coaching website homepage and download a free chapter. You referenced chapter eight earlier in the podcast. And it is, that's the money. That's one of the. I got it right. You nailed it. Stuck the landing vendor. So yeah, you can order it from <laughs> Amazon.com or go to the Sea Captain Coaching website, get a free chapter and, and link through and order it from there. Thanks, Phil. And yeah. Oh, my pleasure. I think it's also in the show notes too. So you'll find plenty of ways to get to it. So Greg, you know, it's it's always a pleasure. Yeah. You know, I recent I went to a conference recently and the amount of people who are enjoying the work that we're doing on this podcast and paying attention to it and enjoying it, learning from it are are you know, becoming uh, more and more prevalent. If you care about somebody, l- let them know about this. And cool. because all we want to do is see you win. Yeah. And uh, with that, Greg Patton, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Now we just got to go p- add author to our LinkedIn profiles when we wrap up here. All right. <laughs> Have a great day. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> see ya. See you later, Bye. buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Sea Captain Way podcast. If you found the conversation valuable, please like, share, and post a review on your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Sea Captain Coaching and how you can start taking advantage of our purpose-driven coaching guidance, visit us at seacaptaincoaching.com and get the Sea Captain view on navigating uncharted waters of growth. The link is in the show notes. You can also follow us at Sea Captain Coaching on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. 
wishing you fair winds and a following sea on your journey. 